This week on Priority One, we check out what updates came from a Star Trek Picard panel in Brazil, Viacom and CBS merge, expansions are coming to Ticonderoga, and the Star Trek community was devastated by another loss this week. In Star Trek gaming news, we've received a cryptic message regarding the mycelial network. We take a closer look at the new Winter Wonderland Bridge Officer abilities in Star Trek Online, and I take us back in time for another Retro Trek Game Spotlight. Then, we're joined by two of Star Trek Online's artists to discuss 2019 milestones and take a glimpse into 2020. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 441 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly report of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. And available for download or streaming on Friday, December 13th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. And I'm Anthony. Welcome back, Kat. We hope you had a wonderful holiday break. I did. Thanks. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on our weekly conversations. Whether via social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Maintaining these features would not be possible without the support of our patrons, listeners like you, who support the ongoing production of this show by offering a financial contribution each month. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one pod and check out how you can become an admiral in the priority one podcast listener fleet. Now, we understand that giving up your hard earned money is a big ask, especially to a podcast. But if you've ever wondered, priority one really is a community podcast, much like community theater exists. This podcast exists because of volunteers that have a passion for Star Trek. No one on the team gets paid for the work that they contribute to the production of the show. And if not for our patrons, we may not be able to continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect. Unfortunately, it does cost money to produce a show. So if you can't make a financial contribution, we understand that, but there is another way that you can support the show. And that's by engaging with us on social media. Whenever we post something on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, You name it, hit those thumbs up icons, click that share button, click that subscribe, retweet those posts, because you, our listeners, are the best connection we have to new listeners. We're also looking for some help. We have a new video project we're working on and we could use a hand with editing. Nothing fancy, we aren't producing a movie or anything. So if you have experience with some video editing and would like to join the team, reach out to us. Our email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. 
This week, the Comic-Con Experience, or CCXP for short, made its annual appearance in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Eager Trek fans were rewarded with an Amazon Prime Star Trek Picard panel, featuring four of the show's stars, Jonathan Del Arco, Isa Briones, Michelle Hurd, and Santiago Cabrera. Del Arco, who played the Borg drone Hugh in TNG, told attendees that if you love Picard, quote, you are going to want to watch this show many, many times, end quote. He also promised plenty of unexpected twists to the story. Michelle Hurd's character, Rafi, was introduced as Picard's new first officer in the pages of the IDW Countdown comic. She believes the show will provide a window to humanity and commented on sci-fi's importance as a reflection of world events. Hurd said, quote, It's the necessity of hope. This is a bigger story than I realized. It gives up something for us to hold on to. In a time when we are divided, it's good to have something we can jump on to tell a story that can touch our hearts and connect us together." End quote. Ricard will, of course, be streaming in the U.S. on January 23rd, 2020 on CBS All Access, and the following day on Amazon Prime in more than 200 countries. It's nice that they're making the rounds, you know, convention season happens all over the world, and it's good that they're getting around to promoting the show and generating buzz and excitement. Uh, at this point, though, I feel like we're getting a lot of the same marketing buzzwords, and I just want the show to come out already. Yeah, I agree. I I realized we're just a little over a month away now, and I'm um, I'm starting to get itchy for the show, and uh, if I more than I was already, and um, all this does is you know make me want to see it even more. And I have been enjoying the Countdown comic, so I'm I'm glad they're giving us you know a little drip, a little saline drip of content up to the premiere of the show. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick up the comic. I don't have it yet, but yeah, this waiting around is terrible, so I'm hoping that reading the comic will help. With the announcement last week that the merger of media giants Viacom and CBS was successfully completed, the Trek-minded among us have been eagerly awaiting signs of what comes next. Well, on Monday, Bob Backish, CEO of the new Viacom CBS, spoke to an investor conference in New York, and Hollywood Reporter ran the story. Backish declared his belief that Viacom CBS may now be the most important content dealer in the world and described a plan for one global content licensing force. Apparently, he's not a Disney Plus subscriber. No word yet on whether the licensing force carries badges or phasers. Specifically addressing Star Trek concerns, the CEO confirmed reports that two new Star Trek films are currently in development. Backish also announced that the company will be looking to sell the CBS headquarters building in New York. Viacom CBS plans to release a shared dividend in a few days, and they expect an upcoming buyback plan on stock shares. In terms of Paramount Pictures, Backish admitted that the current quarter results were below expectations, and he stressed that the studio is in better shape today than it was just a few years ago. He also said, quote, As we look forward, we are very excited about the pipeline, end quote. In wrapping up, Backish pledged at least $500 million in cost synergies for the merged companies, as well as revenue opportunities in distribution, advertising, content licensing, and streaming. And if only there was somebody on our host panel that could tell me what a cost synergy was. Yeah, that's a magical word. <laughs> 
Uh, cost synergies to me mean that they are going to get rid of a bunch of duplicated efforts. So lots of people are about to lose their jobs. You know, as I was reading the articles for this, I think that's... And I mentioned this during the companion video to the show that you can find on YouTube.com. Just do a search for Priority One Podcast. That there seem to be two schools of thought here with respect to this merger. That one, like you said, Kat, there's going to be a lot of people that will probably lose their jobs and, and, and reorganization in order to slim down and not spend so much money. At the same token as well is that CBS has been predominantly a terrestrial content provider, right? With CBS television, right? That's been very much ingrained in their their DNA for so many years that will they be able to push through and claim a piece of the streaming pie already devoured by companies like Disney and Netflix and Hulu and others. So CBS is either going to have to work really hard to wedge themselves into that market or they are in a position because of the content that they have to push forward. Well, I think something similar that we just saw with with Disney acquiring Fox was the huge library that came with it. And I think what CBS is gaining is that huge library of Paramount properties coming over. And I think that that's their thought is, well, you know, these big guys over here just did this. Why don't we do the same thing? We'll combine our television and, you know, properties from CBS and our film properties from Paramount and create a new streaming service. I mean, that's what all of the companies are doing now. Even, you know, HBO slash Warner Brothers slash DC are about to do the same thing. So I think that that's where they're heading, at least on the consumer side. Yeah. I mean, I suspect that Sherry Redstone... uh kind of knew what she was doing although you know that didn't mean she made all the shareholders happy however the merger ended up happening but it has been finalized you know there are some pending lawsuits against uh filed by the shareholders against uh redstone and viacom so yeah i don't know i think they felt like maybe they didn't get their fair share because after the uh, merger was announced their stock prices went down so I think that's what they were alluding to with the stock buyback. I'm not sure what that's about. That's a little vague, too. But yeah. And you know, they just opened that huge center in, what is it, Toronto in Canada? So, you know, they're selling their New York properties because it's really expensive to have a property in downtown New York. So yeah, it looks like they are streamlining and really, you know, deciding to give it their best effort. So I guess we will see what happens. What did you read about the lawsuits? Um, well, basically, the shareholders felt that the the merger was forced onto them; that there wasn't an independent review, an independent committee from from the board, and that CBS was actually ordered by the judge to turn over documents relating to the merger. So, yeah, I mean, I'm suspect probably some shenanigans went down, but it isn't going to stop. The merger is already final. It's done. But it would affect, like, any remedies that shareholders had against the, the company, you know, if they felt like their stock was devalued and they didn't get a fair and independent, you know, review of the value of the merger. So, yeah, I mean, they could have a cause of action, but that, again, it didn't prevent the merger from happening because it's final. It happened on the 4th. So what kind of 
what kind of restitution could they get moving forward? I just mean, money. What, is it just money? Yeah, it's just money, right? Just more money. I mean, it could be if they worked out a negotiation, they could get shares of the newly merged company. I mean, that's that's all the backroom back backroom negotiations that happen. That you know that their filing suit is leveraged so that they can get some money back. Well, captains, we are watching this story very closely, especially with how it affects our very favorite property, Star Trek. But we want to know what you think. Our first community question this week. Now that Viacom is a reality, what do you think it means for Star Trek? Let us know in the comments section for this episode over at PriorityOnePodcast.com or be sure to keep an eye on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for when we post this community question looking for feedback. Your feedback could be featured on our next episode. Recently on the show, we visited the original series set tour in Ticonderoga, New York, and sat down with the tour creator, James Colley. One subject we covered was Colley's hope to move ahead with the development of a similar set tour for the next generation. We are pleased to report that, according to an article in the local news outlet, The Sun Community News... Essex County Supervisors voted to begin the process that will transform a derelict building into Collie's next tour location. The building had previously reverted to county ownership when its owner failed to pay taxes. The county will sell the site to a local economic development group for the price of the outstanding back taxes, and that group intends to transfer the site to James Colley for development. Executive Director of the TI Alliance Development Group, Donna Woten, said, quote, It's a great bonus for our community. It will be a functioning building on the tax rolls that will generate a sizable amount of money for the Ticonderoga economy. Kali is a guy with great vision, and he brings these things to life. End quote. Woo! You know, I this is super exciting. We're, de- we're getting a TNG set tour in Ticonderoga. And... It's really great to know that the town is behind him on this. It, clearly, the set tour that exists there now has brought enough of an economy boost to Ticonderoga that they're, yeah, they're like, yeah, here, have a building. You know, that we want you to build this. Well, they said in that article that it's like Shatner's second home, you know? Right, so they're right. like, that gives it legitimacy. It's crazy. It's amazing. I cannot wait. Yeah, this is really exciting. We'll definitely have to make a another Ooh. another pilgrimage to Ticonderoga once this is built. You think they're going to have 10 forward? That would be so awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to think of all the places on the Enterprise D that I'd want to see. Oh, my again. God. 10 forward. You know, we've had the opportunity and privilege of chatting with James Cauley, and that guy does not cut corners. No. Uh, my guess is that we're going to see set accuracy in amazing detail like that little corner around the engineering station that's supposed to be a turbo lift like when you like that back side of the of engineering that you very rarely see anybody go like have the camera follow that i believe is a turbo lift and yeah i just can't wait i can't i i'm so excited about this I mean, James worked on TNG seasons one and I think even season two, and he sources this stuff out. I mean, he will contact, I mean, he's had Mike and Denise Okuda on at the set tour several times. Right. And I have no doubt that he's going to immediately, they've probably already talked about it, that he's going to come up and and help them build that set because he's going to get as much of the same material as he can get to make those sets. When we were standing in the original series transporter room and they're talking about how the pads that they stand on are the lenses from these specific 
set lights. The actual Fresnels, yeah. That they, they've been going around for the last how many years trying to source out individual ones that came from the same kind of lights to put in the floor. And when I first went there, they only had two. And now I think they're, I think all but one are the, are, are that piece of glass. So they, you're right, Elijah, they do not cut corners, and I am so excited for this. I, I mean, you know, as a TNG baby, I just, I want to go there, and I want to put my face on the carpet. I think I'm, I, TOS made me emotional. TOS, like, you know, I got a little verklempt. When I, when I first walked on the bridge, especially, like, coming out of the turbo lift, and just the colors, and the, the just how beautiful everything was, I'm pretty sure that if they do this in that same guided tour where the bridge is the last thing when those doors open i'm i may cry i well i was on that bridge when i went to the you know star trek experience in las vegas and definitely had some it was yes it's really powerful you're sitting in the chair picard oh my god it's so good i went to the i went to the one they did at um the Intrepid during Mission New York, which is not an exact replica. It's more of like a, uh, you know, there's different computer terminals you can take, like a Kobayashi Maru test or whatever, but it's close enough that I had the feels with that. So I can't imagine how big of a puddle I'm going to make when I see this set tour. Well, when it opens, Captains, you can be sure that Priority One is probably going to organize some kind of trip to trek out the set tour maybe not for opening day or maybe we will maybe we'll just do you know all head on up for for opening day and festivities when it happens uh but if not you bet your bottom dollar that somebody's birthday will be coming around and we will be celebrating it there at the mounds theater in saint paul minnesota it has been a christmas tradition since 2015 to stage a performance of a klingon christmas carol The adaptation has been created by the Comedia Beauregard Theatre Company back in 2007, and the Mounds Theatre has previously licensed the show. However, this year, they were unable to obtain the license. Distressed Klingons around St. Paul could be heard howling their despair. Instead, they've produced an all-new creation of their very own. It's an honorable life. Ha! As reported in the Twin Cities Pioneer Press website, the new Trek-themed production will play shows from December 13th to the 28th. When Klingon warrior Bailey fears that he will fail to die in glorious combat, a member of the Q Continuum arrives to teach him the error of his ways. As the show's director, Jason Kruger, says, quote, He's shown how it is more honorable to have gotten through to continue to live and be a good Klingon, end quote. The show is being billed as a Star Trek fan production. Similarly to A Klingon Christmas Carol, the show is delivered mostly in the Klingon language with English subtitles. You know, this kind of stuff always brings a smile to my my face because, you know, it's no secret that I have a strong passion for theater and the performing arts. And to see that things like this are happening in major, you know, theater districts is just really, really, really fun. I, I wish that I had a group of theater nerds around me that would want to do this too. Um, although, I, coming up this Sunday, I am doing a reading of uh, A Christmas Carol. Maybe I'll throw in some Klingon there when Ghost of Christmas <laughs> Present shows up. I'm Hold on to my robe! Kapla! I'm really impressed with the performers in these shows because first off... I'm extremely impressed with anybody who can learn Klingon. Even if it's even if it's like a predetermined script 
and not like the language. Just just to be able to pronounce Klingon words is impressive alone. And then combine that with acting out an entire show in Klingon, that just blows my tiny little Federation mind that Klingon performers can do that. It's insane. Captains, last week we were saddened to report of the passing of Star Trek legend DC Fontana. This week, the Star Trek world finds itself still mourning. The beloved actor behind Deep Space Nine's Constable Odo, René Aubergenois, passed away on December 8th after a battle with lung cancer. He was 79 years old. René's first Trek role actually came in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. He portrayed Colonel West a Starfleet officer who conspired to incite war with the Klingons. That role was cut from the theatrical release of the film, however, so Trek audiences first met him on screen as the gruff and scrupulous Odo. Over the course of DS9's seven seasons, Renee's acting talents added many layers of complexity to the character of the Alpha Quadrant's lone changeling. From his adversarial friendship with Quark to his deep love of Kira Norris, or his conflicted yearning to belong among the Great Link, Abijunwa's talents brought out the best in Odo. Castmates from DS9 and others from around the Trek world took to social media to share their loss and their memories of the man. Quark actor Armin Shimmerman tweeted, quote, It is with great heartache and loss I share with you the passing of dear, dear René Abijunwa. His last message to me was entitled, Don't Forget. I know that I, Kitty, and all that knew him will never forget. The world seems noticeably emptier now. I loved him. End quote. Surely, we Trek fans will never forget either. Sadly, this week also hit the Star Trek community with two more losses. Robert Walker Jr., who portrayed the empowered Charlie X in the original series episode of the same name, died on Thursday at 79 years old. And Next Generation's Marina Sirtis took to Twitter Sunday to let fans know that her beloved husband, 61-year-old guitarist Michael Lamper, had passed away in his sleep. Sirtis informed followers that she would be gone for a while, and messages of support have flooded onto her account. To all of those mourning Trek's recent losses, we at Priority One offer our most heartfelt condolences. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer, status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Captains, you appear to be receiving a transmission from someone. Transfer complete. A heavily redacted file from the Federation Astrophysics Database? Oh, that's right. This past week, Cryptic posted what can only be considered a teaser for something coming soon. A Discovery-style image of a report about the Mycelial Network. Some of the details have been redacted, but it does appear that many of the galaxy-traversing technologies we've encountered throughout Star Trek Online could all be connected to the Mycelial Network and those existing within. Among the list of associated astrophysical anomalies are the Briar Patch, the Donatu system, fluidic space, the Kittimer system, and all known Iconian gateway locations, among others, including one redacted location. Check out the show notes for a link to the message. Did you guys get a chance to look at this? I did. I couldn't see it very well, though. 
I should look at it on this monitor, probably. I was looking at it on my phone. Look, guys, I just wish that Star Trek Online would stick to its own canon. All right, don't try... I'm kidding. I can't even finish it. I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> I, I think that this is interesting. I think that Star Trek Online is taking a deus ex machina, questionable deus ex machina, from Discovery and applying it to interesting gameplay and storyline. I'm cool with this retconning. I'm really cool with this. Retconning. I love what they did with the Alachi, you know, and how the oh, Alachi yeah. are, you know, fungal creatures that live in the mycelial network and they retcon that and they they went so far as to update their animations in the game i think that's really interesting i think that's something that star trek online lends itself to be able to explore well that's what star trek online in my opinion does best is they take all these threads that are dangling throughout the 700 plus hours of star trek television and they tie these beautiful little bows in the form of of mission arcs and story arcs that we get to be a part of and play. And the connections that they make are ones that I never would have come up with on my own, but yet make perfect sense. And the way they craft the stories and write the stories are just so immersive and so much fun to play. And that's my favorite part about Star Trek Online is playing those new story missions that tie everything together. There's a couple of things on here that I thought was, was interesting. Obviously, most of these locations are connected to a lot of the recent missions that we've been playing, the patrols where Ju'ula is trying to get, you know, spore samples from. There's a lot of Romulan, a lot of locations you go to when you're playing a Romulan character. The Varanat system at the end of the list here is actually the tutorial planet that you start on where the Alachi attack. So what do we think this all means? Like, where do you think we're heading with this information? I'm like, I wasn't ready for that question. But yeah, I mean, I think that there are some very creative people over there at Cryptic, and they're definitely coming up with ways to tie a lot of these things together because you're right. I mean, the Alachi, that was a great move, and adding all these patrols, and even the patrols, how they add to the storyline. I just think it's fascinating. So I think it's great if they can build on Discovery because that just links them to the shows more closely. It links it to canon more closely, so I'm all for it. I wonder how far they're going to take this. Do you think that they're going to go back and maybe update some of the missions to, like, the Iconian arc, for instance? Are they going to go back and inject little mycelial nuggets into past stories to help... They haven't really done... I mean, the only thing they've done for some past stories is to give voiceovers. I mean, they have redone a few things, but I don't think redoing, like, a whole storyline because the Iconian one is awesome, but... Not redo it from scratch, but maybe rewrite the script or some kind of animation or something to, I don't know, inject a little nugget of teasing of mycelial network here and there and be like, oh, well, look, they've added, you know, now now I see the threads. Yeah, I mean, maybe. And as you remember, Elijah, last year, they redid a lot of the animations in the earlier Romulan story arc. And I'm wondering now if that was in preparation for possibly beefing up that storyline to have it more connected with the Alachi being part of the mycelial network. And maybe that's the trajectory we're heading on, is that we're going to come back to the Romulans and to the Alachi for future storytelling. Yeah, because they have a lot of that stuff already in the game. I mean, you know, the Romulan reputation gear could use an, a refreshing, you know. There's, yeah, there's all kinds of ways they could refresh or update some of the stuff they've already got there. We have all that stuff already, but they could always add more. 
and you could spend all the reputation marks you have saved up. This past weekend, Cryptic Studios streamlined a plethora of gaming activities for 24 hours over the course of the weekend, all in an effort to raise money for UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital and the Children's Miracle Network. The Cryptic crew started off with Star Trek Online, then moved to the epic Star Trek tabletop game Star Trek Ascendancy. Then they played something called Dungeons and Decorators and finished day one with a game of Magic the Gathering Commander. On day two, they started off playing Neverwinter before moving to an RPG set on SETI Alpha 5. Sunday's stream finished up with board games and a Krampus edition of D&D. Altogether, Cryptic raised over $12,000 for their local children's hospital, and we here at Priority One would like to congratulate their efforts. Yeah, if you get a chance, the videos are still up on Twitch, on the Cryptic Twitch channel. It was really cool. On day one, it was Julia Fredrickson, who was the community manager for Neverwinter, was playing Star Trek Online with Mike Fatum in the background. And apparently she had to admit that the dinosaurs in Star Trek Online were better <gasps> than the ones in Neverwinter. Yeah, and then on day two, they started off with the Neverwinter stream, and Mike Fatum, the community manager for Star Trek Online, was playing uh, Neverwinter. It was pretty cool. They were they were having a lot of fun. It looked like they had several rooms set up and they were playing all sorts of different things. And it was really fun to watch. And yeah, congratulations to them for, for raising yeah, awesome. some money for a great and charity. And it's always delightful to see, Mike. And this last week, somebody anonymously donated to our Extra Life campaign. So thank you so very much. Thank you, mystery donor. Oh, that's awesome. Well, since we're now in Q's Winter Wonderland, I did want to mention a few of the new bridge officer manuals that you can pick up. First up is the Engineer Ability, Let It Go. Now, this is a pretty great Ensign Engineer Ability. There are not a lot of great damage abilities for Ensigns, and this one's especially good if you have a ship with quite a few Ensign seats. Also, for the Science Officers, is Very Cold in Space. This one's pretty good at any level, and it's pretty great to see that there are some more science space abilities that can actually be viable. Lastly is Best Served Cold. Now this is the tactical ability, and I gotta say this one's not that great. It's got a pretty high cooldown rate, and there just are a lot of abilities that are better for all of these levels for your tactical bridge officers. Now all of these abilities do cold damage, and the first thing that I wanted to find out was, well, what consoles or abilities boost cold damage? Well, the answer is, there's none that specifically boosts cold damage. So the only way you're going to get some boosted cold damage is with consoles that boost all damage. So I'm not quite sure that a cold damage build is something that we're really going to see right away. However, like I said, the engineering ability is pretty good for ensigns and very cold in space. You know, science officers are getting some pretty cool abilities now and there's some fun stuff you can give it a try. So... I might pick up that science one. I hadn't really looked at those because those are the last things I buy on the winter event. So I haven't saved up enough bits because I'm buying all the outfits, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> and the, you know, Ferengi, van- or not the Ferengi vanity shield, but the Vecleri vanity shield to make your ship look cute. <laughs> well, while we're talking about the winter event, Kat, do you have any fleet news happening this winter? This week in Armada News, like every week, join us for TFO Tuesday, where we team up with other Armada members to earn marks in Dilithium. We are looking for some senior staff for the console fleets, so if you play Xbox or PS4, just reach out to us via PriorityOneArmada.com. 
And if you are an Armada member, just make sure you're logging in because you never know you might win a giveaway. We are giving away stuff every day this month, so thanks for our members, and we hope you win. Yay. In other Armada news, the House of Martok needs colony ore provisions. We need just about 20,000 more provisions before we can put our first Tier 5 colony upgrade on cooldown. This will be the first KDF fleet that is going to reach Tier 5 for the colony. We're really excited. So great job, House of Martok members. And we'd like to announce we have a new Admiral in the Armada. Bulls was promoted to Admiral last week. Congrats, Bulls. Congratulations. In other gaming news... We mentioned earlier that the Cryptic crew played Star Trek Ascendancy during their live stream. The game, published by Gale Force 9, is probably the most expansive tabletop game for the Star Trek universe. Each player leads a cultural faction in the game and sets out to explore the galaxy, expand their dominion, acquire resources, and in some cases engage in battle against enemies. The base game comes with the Federation, Klingons, and Romulans. Other expansions include the Ferengi and Cardassians, and there is even a Borg expansion that pits players against the evil automatons. Now, the Vulcans and Andorians have joined the galaxy. Recently released expansions for these factions can now add a 6th and 7th player to the already epic game. Inspired by their storylines in Star Trek Enterprise, these expansions bring new and unique mechanics to the game, so each faction feels thematic. Check out our show notes for a link to an unboxing video. Since we talked about a new streaming show involving the tabletop RPG Star Trek Adventures last week, to celebrate National Dice Day this past December 4, StarTrek.com posted links to free resources to help you get started with your Star Trek Adventures. This included a link to Star Trek Online to help you visualize your RPG character. That link can be found in our show notes. Now, let's slingshot around the sun and trek out a retro Star Trek game. Earth date, 1992. The Star Trek franchise was approaching its popularity peak at warp speed. It had just celebrated 25 years in pop culture with the release of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, in December of 1991, and The Next Generation was enjoying the highest TV ratings in all of Star Trek's broadcast history. Star Trek toys had found the sweet spot for both children and collectors, DC Comics was publishing an ongoing Next Generation series that lasted for seven years. New Star Trek novels were releasing monthly, and also arriving in 1992, a Star Trek board game, trivia game, and even a Star Trek TNG, How to Host a Mystery Game. Star Trek, it seemed, had conquered all avenues of pop entertainment. Well, except for video games. Up until 1992, Star Trek had failed to deliver even one solidly fun, well-received video game. In fact, it was around this time that plans were scrapped to release a Star Trek V The Final Frontier Nintendo game, which was nearly finished. It seemed Star Trek couldn't figure out a way to put its fans in the proverbial captain's chair. That is, until Interplay released the Star Trek 25th Anniversary computer game for DOS, and later for the Amiga and Mac OS systems. This point-and-click adventure game put you in the role of Captain James Tiberius Kirk commanding the crew of the USS Enterprise during its original five-year mission. The game first released on 3.5-inch floppy disk, but later was re-released on CD-ROM and included the entire cast returning to voice their original characters. Players guide the crew of the Enterprise through a series of episodic-style missions, solving puzzles, exploring planets, and generally trekking around the galaxy. The graphics are of the time, but the sprites are clean and crisp, 
and the environments are colorful expressions of pixel art rather than jaggy, antiquated images. The game is free enough that if you don't explore everywhere or look at everything, you might feel lost, but always gives you the sense that you're controlling your own destiny and making the big decisions. The only negative part of the whole experience is the occasional space battle that can quickly become frustrating. Thankfully, in its current edition, you can skip those. The game was also one of the first games to combat video game piracy. Many missions would start out with an admiral telling you to navigate to a distant star system to complete your objective. However, when you open the in-game star chart, none of the stars had names, and warping to the wrong system would initiate one of those frustrating space battle sequences. In order to navigate to the correct system, you needed to reference the star map located in the game's printed manual. Pirates who simply copied and shared the game would often overlook including a copy of the manual. Star Trek 25th Anniversary is critically considered the first really good Star Trek video game. It's often listed among the top three. The writing, the music, the gameplay, everything just hits the right notes and holds up well, even for today. You can find this game on both the Steam Store and on Good Old Games Galaxy Store, also known as GOG.com. Be on the lookout for sales, as I recently picked up both Star Trek 25th Anniversary and its sequel Judgment Rights for $3.50 each. And that is well Well, that leads us to our last community question for this week. Have you ever played Star Trek the 25th Anniversary? Do you have any favorite old Star Trek video games? Again, let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our social media posts on Facebook or Twitter. Well, that wraps up this week in gaming news. Now let's activate transporters and welcome our guests from Cryptic Studios. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, on our second to last show here on Priority One, we are thrilled to be joined by two of the developers behind Star Trek Online. Today, we're joined by lead environment artist Scott Boyd. Hello. And Star Trek Online's animator, Weston Pierce. Hey there. Thank you so very much for joining us. And filling in for Anthony today is our Fleet Admiral Winters. Winters, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. No problem at all. So now that we're wrapping up 2019, um, we like to do this every year where we bring on uh, Cryptic Studios and the devs to, to kind of look back on 2019 and uh, perhaps tease a little bit about the future and looking ahead in, t- in 2020 without spoiling anything, of course. Of course. Scott Weston, last we spoke to you was actually at the start of the year when we were there uh, in the first quarter of 2019 celebrating our 400th uh, episode. And, you know, we, we, we had the opportunity of sitting down and chatting with you both. And now we're at the end of 2019 and so much content had mm-hmm. been published and so much work had been put into Star Trek Online and bringing the mycelial network to life and bringing discovery to life into Star Trek Online. Why don't we why don't we first start with what both of you are most proud of in the work that you've done that players have seen in 2019? So Weston, why don't you go? Why don't you go first, Weston? Ah, I was actually going to let you go first because I'm going to have to sit, think about that for a second. All right, well There's then, let so me much take, has happened. Let me take the reins. So um, <laughs> honestly, as a lead, this is going to sound super hokey, but uh, a lot of the times I feel better about my team succeeding. I know that sounds so like I'm supposed to say that, but really, our team has done a fantastic job with um, 
our, our one of our environment artists, Nick, he worked on all the mycelium network stuff, and he was able to kind of take that whole thing on by himself. He did such a great job, kind of using the the um, the show as a kind of a starting point for how we wanted to create this really open mycelium environment, and he just ran with it, and it was so good and such an easy process now i'm going to spill the beans here a little bit but sometimes making video games is hard it's a big secret i know sorry 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 and he really did such a great job of um keeping things on track and keeping things orbiting organized and keeping things simple that this was a really uh dare i say easy uh push for for this uh, for that particular uh, episode yeah. and it really kind of showed well in our cutscenes. it showed well in our key art and I, I was just really proud to see how nick just kind of championed that whole thing and just to see him take charge of that was just a real joy to my heart it made me feel really good about where our team is and uh, where we are as a uh, as a project now take that <laughs> You know, you know when uh, the mycelial network was first introduced to Star Trek Online, I mean, I th- I, I was shocked at how beautiful. Not, and when I say shocked at how beautiful it is, I don't mean to say that. Oh, I'm shocked because it's an. It, it was shocking in how beautiful it was. It was like the, it's stunning, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at a work of art and you're stunned by it, not because of the game mechanics or anything of the nature, but because of the artistry behind it. Yeah. Um, and I had wanted to get Nick on to talk a little bit about it. Um, but I don't know if you guys know this, but when you launched the mycelial network, I had started researching how to play Star Trek online in VR in a three-dimensional what? kind of emulation. Really? Wow. And there is and there is a third-party plugin that will convert uh, the textures, the the environment. I, I'm not a game designer. Get so out of here. Are you serious? Into yeah, into 3D. So Yo, I was walking around in the mycelial network with my <laughs> Oculus Rift on. Oh my word! And you know the 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 branches were you know coming by my eyeballs and you know hitting me in the face kind of thing. Jeez. It was stunning. That is freaking I mean, awesome. I'm gonna have to find that when I get home. Yeah. I, I gotta download that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'll reach out to me. I'll send you all the information. I have it all. I have it all. I have it all. And I have you know I have an older Oculus Rift. Um, I've got, uh, you know, a decent rig that was able to support it. You know, you have to jump through a few hoops, but it was, I mean, breathtaking in, in VR. Did you get a chance to play the TFO version of that with, uh, with your VR? I did. I did actually. I did. And it's a little, it's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah, Um, there is. So it gets a little, it gets a little crazy, but the, the, the first person experience when you play the mission uh man and then when those with those wormholes you start flying through the wormholes in vr oh that must have been fun yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, it was i can just imagine doing that uh stargate sg1 wormhole travel from one island to the other would be absolutely fantastic and nauseating too if you're not careful oh yes (laughs) a little bit (laughs) so with the mycelial network and with talking with uh working with nick on producing it what hurdles did he face if at all or was it something that it was kind of you know i'm going to make a a pandora style planet you know like is it was it easier to conceptualize because it was such a fantastical place or was it harder to materialize i I think in some ways it's a little bit of both it was easier because you didn't have this huge like lots of uh 
big land areas, it was all kind of confined to little islands. But there's a lot of problems we have when it comes to computers is this thing called fill rate, which is when you have a lot of alpha cards on top of each other, you can get some real, you know, it can bog things down and you have to be conscious of that. So he had to do kind of a lot of, a lot of tests to make sure that that worked. He also had, you know, you don't get a whole lot of what the mycelium network looks like from everywhere. So he had to kind of figure things out to, to make it feel like an experience you can walk through. Cause hey, these movies, these shows are great because they can focus the camera in one area and you don't get to see what looks like what it looks like straight up in the air. You, you only have little bits and pieces. So we had to kind of figure out, we want this to be visceral and have an experience as you're walking through it. What are those things that they didn't give us in the show that we kind of have to make up ourselves? So there was a little bit of a challenge in that, but it was also a lot of fun for him to kind of figure that out, especially with like the little water areas that he did. We got to use some more of the rocks uh, that we've been doing in our other environments and just the sky file and all the kind of trickery that he got to do with that. So I was just like, as a, as a boss, I was just kind of like, Nick, that looks great, cool. I'm gonna go play some video games over here while you keep doing what you're doing because <laughs> it was really easy to kind of, I didn't really have to do a lot of art direction on him. I just was like, that looks good, that looks good, that looks good, and he, he ran most of it. But like I said, it was kind of a combination of some easy, some hard when it came to the process. I'm sure it uh, completely depends on what you're working on, but something like that, you know, creating the mycelial realm, like how much time does it take? Like, I'm assuming it's, t it's weeks to create an environment like that. Oh, it was, it was, oh gosh, yeah, it was. It's more than weeks. More than weeks, yeah, it was probably about two and a half months. And it's, as an artist, what you try to do is you try and, and you may see this when you play video games, you want to simplify it a little bit where you're, you're constructing parts that can be repeated throughout the environment. So, okay, we're gonna make some foliage that looks good, and then we can populate that everywhere. We're gonna make an island that we like, and then we'll make some variations of those islands, but it still takes time to, to, to iterate, to figure out whether this is gonna work or not. You know, those little portals that we were using to kind of transport between islands, that took a while to kind of figure out what we wanted that to look like, and what do we want the plants to look like they're gonna teleport you between. And yeah, there was a lot of kind of research, but there's techniques that we have as artists to kind of make it easier, but it still takes a heck of a long time uh, in the in the long in the end to kind of create something like that. Well, let me ask you this: you know, we're we're now about to start celebrating the the 10 year anniversary of Star Trek Online. Uh, it is a 10 year old MMO. As artists creating in this environment and creating in this not not environment in Star Trek, but environment in, as in development tools. Is it difficult? Is it easy? You know, what? what's it like to develop for a 10-year-old MMO? Well, and Weston can attest to this too, our art looks a lot different than it did 10 years ago. So when we look at some of the older content, and maybe we want to reuse some of that content for, for other missions, we're like, oh gosh, I don't really want to, I don't feel comfortable as an artist you know, putting that out. So we do, you know, we spend some time trying to revamp some of our older stuff. So it, in some ways it's... It presents an interesting mix of challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, and Weston does a lot of, he's been doing a lot of looking at older animations because some of those cutscenes were generated by designers, not by artists, not by animators. So he's, you know, Weston's taken upon himself to say, forget that crap. I'm going to take this 
cutscene, I'm going to make it feel more visceral. And he's been doing a fantastic job of doing that. It's an, like I said, it's an interesting challenge to look back at the old art that we've had in the past and try to bring it up to the current standard that we have today. Because it's it's sometimes things work, sometimes things <laughs> don't, and we need more polish time with them. And it's a mix all over the place. Yeah. So it's always a, a daily interesting challenge oh that, you to, uh, that you have to come up and meet with. Yeah. And it's, that's what makes it fun. Now, Weston, if I recall, when we met in, in January, you were still pretty new to the team, right? And and am I correct? Um, I'm a little over two years here now. Yeah. You're a pro now. You're a pro. Yeah. <laughs> what challenges did you face this year, and what are you, what are you most proud of in, in, in your animation work? I think I would have to say the thing I'm most proud of is trying to get something that makes a player go, wow, when they see that when they play either the new missions or buy some of the new items or ships or anything like that. I think over the last at least like eight months or so, we've been pushing the boundaries on what is conceptually possible in our cutscenes and our items, mm -hmm. be it uh, new melee sets for some of our lobby weapons like the Terran Sword or Jayla's Staff, or how the giant walker in the cutscene on the Mycelial Realm oh comes and lands down. That was so good! That for instance, was a rig that had not been touched in the last eight years, which was a challenge in itself to bring it back to life. And so just getting those well moments, getting those things that players aren't really expecting or anticipating, I think is what brought me the most joy over the last year of everything that we've done. Can I talk? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut in here. I want to talk about what I'm proud about you, what you did. Oh, me? I, I'm going to, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to brag a little bit about Weston here, because he, since last we've talked, we did the expansion where we did the uh, Prior's World D, the snow planet, and this big uh, love story thing happened. So we had this really big cutscene that we had planned, and I kind of storyboarded it out and, and was like, this is the emotional weight of this entire scene. We were like, it's, it's ambitious, there's a lot of emotion in it. We'd done some scratch tracks to kind of get all the feeling that we wanted so the actors, when they came and recorded, could kind of match it. And then, and Weston was here at like 11 o'clock at night and we were, you know, burning the midnight oil. He came over and he says, I got this, I got the cutscene for, sorry, if you haven't played it, Patel's death. He showed it to me and I literally- I've never heard him hit a note that high before. I screamed out loud and I was just so excited. It was like that Fred, what was that, the politician when he's all, yeah! That was, that's what I did. I was just like so excited. And I was just like, everybody, come here, look at this, look at this. Because, and it's 11 o'clock, so there's like five people yeah, in the building. Yeah. But he got all of them. But it was, I had, I had the, you know, the, the feels all over with that cutscene, and he, he captured everything I was hoping for. And it just proves that, that Weston really kind of, because he loves this project so much and he knows how to do it and do it right, I'm so proud and happy that he's on our team. Well, if you're gonna say that, I have to say the same thing about you, because none of these cutscenes would be anywhere near as good with your art direction and storytelling with all of this. Let's hug, let's okay. hug, okay. oh, okay. And, you know, and I have to say that I wouldn't be enjoying the game if it wasn't for both of your work. I mean, thank you so much. And, you know, everybody honestly- Everybody loves everybody! <laughs> So we posted uh, that we were interviewing you both on social media before the interview. And, you know, we got a lot of people expressing how thrilled they were at some of these additions like the Mycelial Network, Rice's Eternal Sunset, and, and 
you know, all these environments that that you guys have worked on this year. Um, is there anything on the was there anything that you did not get a chance to work on? So there's a lot of people are always asking for we want Ryza to have the time of day uh, back. And, you know, I, I would love to be able to figure out a way to do that. But the one thing that I didn't get a chance to do, which I'm really hoping at some point I will get to do that is, as you have seen throughout the new missions, we have this really cool rock kit that we're, we're starting to use. And we used it in Prior's World. We used it in Pavo. We've used it in uh, 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 and in the Mycelium Network. And I want to incorporate some of those rocks in the mountains that are on Ryza because that the, the way that Ryza was constructed is very dated. And I know we can do better with the stuff the stuff that we have now. So it's just a matter of getting the time and finding the time in order to to take Ryza to that next level. I, I was great. I was glad to do the sunset, but I know we can do even better with that. That's my thing. I, I can't I can't really say what what I was going to do. We've seen a small snippet of something that I was hoping to get in to the game that hasn't yet, but that's uh, that's about as far as I can say about that so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it right there. Yeah. Cat, is there anything that, you know, you experienced this year that uh, that really kind of caught your eye that you wanted to talk about? I don't know, Weston, if this was you, but you know that there's a cutscene with some of the Herc episode. I can't remember which episode, maybe Home, where it goes to your character, like the Herc shows up and you just like, it goes to you and your eyes just widen and oh, you're like, yeah. oh man, I love that one. That one really sticks out to me where I'm like, wow, this animation is so good. That Weston's notorious for the big eyes, big eyes. He likes making really big eyes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it's fun to get expressive with our characters. So yeah. a lot of times before we didn't have very many expressions, especially no. in cutscenes. So uh, they, I, we were yeah. they were they were always crunched for time. Yeah. So now we're putting more uh, uh, effort into making sure these are expressive. And Weston is actually doing a lot of. I mean, did they even know how to do that? And you or you, and you just figured out how to do it? Yeah, like, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, Weston does a lot of. Oh, they didn't do this before. Let me figure out how to do it so I can do it, and that's why. There were things in our cutscenes that they didn't, we didn't do because they didn't know how, and Weston figured out how to do it, and now they look the way they do now. So that's a lot of him. That makes me wonder about game development, right? A little more about getting into the, the inner workings of what it is to work at a, at a development studio, where you're saying that folks before Weston, I presume were using similar, if not the same tools, but Weston was able to pull something out of the tools that somebody else wasn't. Is that just the nature of game development and, and like, you know, engine and world building? Like I think, it de I think it depends on a lot of who's behind the game development. Like, for me, for me just particular, I try to be very innovative and think outside the box in how to approach things. Um, at my last job, for instance, I did multiple things that I showed some of my other... Uh, fellow animators, and they were confused as to why I was doing something the way it was, using a tool in a not correct way to get a different end result. I've seen other animators here too do similar things. Uh, Daniel over on Neverwinter, uh, he's great at making his own tools, something that a lot of other animators aren't capable of doing. So I think it, I think it just depends on how you approach the tools. And also what kind of focus your, your game wants. So like with Neverwinter, it's not really a cutscene driven um, game, but where we, because we're based off a TV show, we tend to be a little more cinematic, but that's more of a recent thing. Again, before it was a lot of animators that were just used to doing 
character animations or creature animations, not I'm going to animate a cutscene specifically. So it was not really that people didn't maybe necessarily know how to do it. It was more they just weren't really asked to do that. And now that I've come on board and our new art director came on board, that's been more of an emphasis to make sure that we have these visceral experiences with through cutscenes. Yeah, that's true as well. Wait, do you have a new art director or is it... Um... It's still Bill. Sorry, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Bill, when Bill came on, that's kind of, he let me, because this was something we were starting to do, because I love movies. I love movies. And I took it in college. I was taking, like, storyboarding and whatnot. And then they started letting me do it. And then I kind of ran with it. And then Weston was able to kind of take my vision and actually put it on, on the screen. When Bill came on board, they were like, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Let's do more of it. So, yeah. <laughs> At one point... Do you, Weston, get involved when developing a mission? You know, like I think of Pavel. I think I'm. I think I would say I'm involved pretty early on. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily in the white box stages, but as soon as first playables come around, then I'm starting to work on cutscenes, get animations that content needs, start working with environment and content to figure out where cutscenes happen, how things are going to play out in the story. Uh, I know I'm definitely, we're definitely working with Paul all the time yep. with the scripts and the story itself. And making sure things make sense, too, because there's a lot of times when we're, you know, a designer will come up with this idea and we're like, yeah, but you haven't thought about this. Yeah. And so Weston will be a part of that process as well to kind of, as he's animating, going, but why would this person do this? This doesn't feel right to me. So yeah. there's a lot of collaborative uh, collaboration going on from all departments when it comes to the cutscenes. I think that's something interesting about game design in general is uh, you probably tend to think of it as very linear in terms of this person does this, this person does that. Yeah. When in reality, it's a lot more fluid. Right. And you fly around from place to place and project to project and thing you're working on. It, it, well, also, that's kind of our, our mindset over here at Cryptic, too, because you'll have some some uh, departments or bigger companies like EA. They've got a very defined, I'm an animator, I'm a lighter, I'm a, I'm a cutscene animator. Uh, they've got their different you know silos that they place their different people in. But because we're a smaller studio, we kind of carry, we're a lot more hats. And so we there yeah. it requires a lot more collaboration. So it helps that we as a team actually totally love hanging out with each other and working together, which makes every day that I get to come to work super awesome. Absolutely. So. We've been talking a lot about uh, cutscenes and the animations that go in, in, into those, but I'm also curious about um, emotes. Um, are you responsible for that as well? Weston, that some of the new remotes that we've got. <laughs> yes, you are. That is fantastic. Weston. Oh yes, yes. So what I'm curious <laughs> about is the process for doing the emotes. I mean, do you record yourself doing something and then go back and watch it, or do you, you know, go on YouTube and look at videos of you know people dancing a particular way, or how, how do you? What's your steps in designing an emote. <laughs> yes, Weston, tell us all about it. Yeah. Oh, hold on a second. I'm, I, I don't even work there, but I, I've seen videos. Yes, there's, I, I know somewhere on the internet there's that video of me doing the accordion emote. Oh, oh boy. But, no, like you said, that's that's pretty much the process. Uh, I either record myself and then play that back in uh, my animation software to uh, base that off of, or go in places like YouTube or other uh, websites to find videos because I can't dance at all. <laughs> Um, Don't sell yourself short, Weston. I've seen it. It's amazing. Okay, okay. And the great thing, too, is nobody asks him to make these. 
Now, Literally, no one has asked you ever to make these, and you just do them anyway. They, there's something that, like I said, that makes the player say wow, that makes the player smile. Like yeah. Things that, that I think are worth having. Right that just make the game as a whole a little bit shinier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are great additions to the game and they and they add a, a, a great level of fun, you know, like because we've we've got together loads of times and you know people you know like oh you have to check out the new emotes like and just everybody has fun, you know, messing around with the emotes so they're a great addition to the game. I agree. I love them. You know, I think back a few years ago uh, the animation that allowed your character to rappel down a cliff, right? Weston, would that fall on you? That 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 would fall on you. That was actually made before I joined the team. But what, like, if they wanted to do something like that again, would that be your? Yes, in that case, if we were updating that, then yes, that would that would fall under my purview. Please update it. I know. Please, please update it. <laughs> well, you know, the, the reason I ask that is because we've seen some amazing work from you all. I mean, it's just absolutely fantastic. There is no knocking it in any way, shape, or form. I'm curious if there have been any thoughts or developments in respect to, like, character interaction within the game. You know, in animations and interactions with other... Zipline! Zipline. Environments and whatnot, like the zipline or like the repel. There has been talk about that kind of stuff. Um, it all base it, there's a lot of limitations that our type of game has uh, compared to, like, a third-person shooter. We have a capsule collision, mm-hmm. and our you know, there's a lot of things that require systems in order to make that happen. Yeah. And some of that stuff just doesn't exist. And a lot um, of that also has to do with just how vast our character creation system is. Right. And then there's client to ser- client base and server based stuff yeah. that there's a lot of things that can wreak havoc. And then yeah. the other thing too, which I'm like, I would love a mission where we climb a ladder, but then you get you you have the problems of. Well, your characters are scalable, so... How does Yoda climb the ladder compared to a 16-foot-tall Gorn? Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and then it opens up a big can of worms of, why can't I climb every mission? Well, because they weren't built that way, so then it's like, trust me, I want it. I totally want it, and I would love to figure it out. And we're always looking for ways to do stuff right. like that, too. But then, so it's like one of those things would be okay. Going forward, we now have this mechanic, but then kind of makes people if they started out, they're like, oh, like ten years in, I finally got this cool mechanic that took a while to get. But maybe we could bring, we could kind of retrofit some of the older, some of that new. If we were able to do traversable, we could bring that into older missions. But again, that's time, and it, it takes a bit of time to get that in there so i don't know it's it's one of those things we, we always are looking for ways like you said to kind of improve the game experience yeah one of the community questions that we at, we were asked on social media one of them from uh castillo on twitter when do we get the disco enterprise bridge does that count as environment <laughs> and that's a very good question it's a very good question the thing about a, a bridge which we have to make sure everybody understands Bridges have to be very intentional nowadays because um, because we're such a small team, they take a long time to do. And with the quality that we want to do now, like if you look at all the discovery, the Crossfield and the, the Walker Bridge, I mean, super high quality. So we, those, those take time to develop. So you need to have a mission that requires that bridge to be used in a mission because it, it, we want it to do double duty. Like you can get it with the ship, 
but we also use it in a mission for for other uses as well because not everybody uses a bridge and if we buy this we make this bridge and only a few people use it then you know not that it's a waste but it's it doesn't isn't as impactful than if it was something that was included in a mission that everybody can enjoy does that make sense yeah absolutely absolutely so i don't have an answer for you but it is definitely one of these gorgeous bridges that I would love to to get constructed, but it's just a matter, I can't really tell talk about when that gets generated, but it's something that is definitely on our radar. So I understand that you guys have a close relationship with CBS and you know talk a bit with them and sometimes get we do get a whole bunch of assets and hard drives that are encrypted and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I have to ask, have you already received anything from Picard that you're working on? Can my silence and be the answer to I your know, question? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to stay silent. Okay. But, All right. Fair but yeah, so you'd say occasionally you get sneak previews of upcoming content. Like you said, we have a very good relationship with CPS, so... When Discovery first came out, they got a launch, uh, and some of our team got to actually go watch the first episode, because I think they previewed it in the theaters with some of the cast members, and that's some right, of our I guys got that. to go down and watch that. And we've gotten a lot of the the. Um, that's why some of our Discovery stuff looks really good because we got filmscapes and we've got uh, actual assets, not you know set uh, images of the set like from the older episodes. We actually got 3D assets that were used in the actual filming of the show so that helps that that makes our job a lot easier so but like the shuttle we got the shuttle uh exteriors that was a model that they gave us we got um the big hangar bay that was something that they gave us so and then we got some good orthogonal uh or uh you know maps uh uh 3d uh 2d or sorry 2d maps of like all the bridges so we got all the uh measurements and everything pretty exact and then we just had to scale them up a little bit to, for, for the game purposes. So with Discovery Season 3 now coming and you've seen, you know, obviously Season 1 and Season 2 are, are out. Is there anything you've seen even from the trailers that you're like, ooh, I want I want to start working on that? Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, that would be a better question to ask us if there wasn't something that we wanted to do. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's good. I just, I just like her look. You know, oh yes, she's got that. You know, she got those the cool dreads and everything. So she, I absolutely yeah. love how Michael Burnham looks in the new trailer. Yeah, so yeah, I, I'm excited to see where that thing goes. Are you talking about her like her outfit? Or are you talking about the environment? Like just like uh, what she looks like. Like she's got you know her hair's grown out long and everything. She just looks really different than before. So she just looks really nice. And so yeah, yeah just the, the fact that it's very different. The environment, her, 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 what her hair, what her body looks like, what everything looks like, it's a very different look for us. So yeah, I'm just excited for all that stuff. Yeah, I did. A, I just had a random question, which is, if you're like working on something and you're stuck, writer's block or creative block, what do you do to inspire you? As if you're trying to get something done, where do you go for inspiration? Well, for me, it's been more recent games, actually. That's um, very true, yeah. For instance, uh, I've recently been playing Fallen Order, and I take a look at a lot of the different animation and in that game, and it makes me think, how can we improve our game mm-hmm. with, similar, uh, with similar tactics, with similar methods? 
Um, so I like looking at outside sources, how other people have tackled problems already, and to see what methods they use. And that inspires possibly new ways to look at problems that we are facing currently. That's very true. So it's like, I, I think you're totally right where it's, you know, you look at a game that you really respect and admire. Um, I finished like Spider-Man. I know it has, it has nothing to do with kind of our look, but, or like a, Horizon Zero Dawn is another game where it's kind of that sci-fi look and just look at how they model things and go, oh man, I want to be able to do something like that or or I want to inspire my team to model something like that. And so we just kind of, that's, we make games. So we just play a lot of games just to be uh, inspired by that. I do a lot, I like watching a lot of movies too. I just, again, with cutscenes and whatnot, it's like seeing somebody do something cinematically that kind of helps drive a story through a camera movement or through an emotional beat or through a, a piece of dialogue and just go, oh my gosh, that's great. You know, maybe we can do something like that. I remember the example, like when we did the uh, the Discovery uh, tutorial mission and there was a shot in the cutscene where Tilly's walking past the, um, over the Federation logo. I'm like, this reminds me of clear and present danger when Harrison Ford is walking over the FBI symbol. Let's do something like that. And uh, so I just get inspired by, uh, by movies and by games and yeah I mean that's the kind of we're in a multimedia kind of uh, job and so that kind of stuff just really gets me jazzed yeah I think it's fair to look at you know new games and and you know see what's on hitting the headlines and uh, I can only imagine how challenging it is to try to mold that back into into a you know the environment that you're in it's no two games are the same necessarily that's what makes it fun though that's the challenge that we all like and we have a little bit more of a challenge than some of the, you know, these new games who get all the, the cool tools and the cool toys. Because we're a 10-year-old game, we don't necessarily have this thing called PBR, which is, you know, photorealistic rendering, and we don't get that. That's So these guys that are making these really, really fancy games, they get all that, that cool stuff. We have to kind of fake it a little bit. But that that's a challenge, and it's, it's fun, and it's challenging. And when we do something that looks really close to it we're like yeah dude we did that without this stupid pbr crap you know we can do it our, on ourselves so it's a challenge and then when we succeed it makes it really more uh fulfilling obviously you know uh working on new stuff is probably the the primary role you know for environment and stuff like that but let's say something like q's winter wonderland is that something that might get a pass over Obviously not this year, but we'll say for next year. Is it a, a, an environment that you're like, do you know what? This needs an update. Oh, no. I, I thought the same thing. So it's it's funny because the Winter Wonderland has the same problem that Bryza has. And I'm like, I was going to go in there and throw some realistic mountains and have snow on top of them. We got all this Pavo stuff. Let's bring some of that into, um, into, never, into the winter event. And it's just... You know, we're focused solely on the anniversary right now, so it's it's just hard to 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 find the time to do that kind of stuff. But when I when, if ever there's a time to do it, that's one of my major goals is we need to we need to add more to this environment because we can. Uh, you know, the computers can push more polygons. We can do more things. We just have to find the time to do it. You know what? That's that that brings up a good point. You know, it's I hadn't even thought about the Winter Wonderland. You know, that that is a uh quite an old map but yeah but it does serve its purpose though it does but it's you know constantly the only thing that i'm really doing right now is a, here's your new ship that you get to do but every time i'm in there or you get to get when you do the event but 
every time I'm in there, I'm like, man, I want to do this and I want to do that. <laughs> I did do one thing where the terrain is now has a lot more polys in it as before than before. We did some, and that was an easy thing to add, but because we look at some of the terrain and it's a little, uh, the fidelity on that thing isn't fantastic. So I was just like, oh, I can do this and boop, we get a little bit more back, but that isn't much of a big deal. Oh. Well, you mentioned a moment ago that it's it's kind of uh, the winter event is kind of like RISA. For people who may not be familiar with RISA or or the hurdles that you face, why isn't it as easy as building a new map and just overlaying it over a file? You know, like that's super rudimentary. I know. Please don't feel insulted by that. But I, no, 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 it's totally fine. But yeah, what is that? What what is it about special maps like this that make it? notoriously difficult to update well you also because you have to consider all the things that are baked into that mission you've got all these different missions going on you've got the jelly uh the gummy worm fishing thing you've got the races you got all those things that are embedded in there and if you say i'm gonna do this crazy thing and oh by the way i broke half of them when i did it then everybody's ticked off and it's you know it, there's it affects more than just environment it right. goes into content it goes into systems goes into animation goes into there effects go. goes into a lot of different areas when even just small things can be changed when a map is so popular populous popular and used like that right so it's one thing if it's a very specific mission and i've just got one particular linear mission that i have to follow but when you've got like 10 different things going on you have to be conscious of all that stuff. So, again, it's not impossible, but it's just, it's tricky. So, looking ahead to 2020 without spoilers, without giving away anything, what is it like for you to now be entering 10 years of an MMO that continues the story of Star Trek? And Scott, I vaguely remember you saying that you weren't necessarily a Star Trek fan before you got on board with... I was not a TV show guy. I was a, I was a movie person, so I watched... Like I said, I'm a huge movie guy, so I've seen all the movies except for five. I refuse to. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm one of those people. Don't blame you. <laughs> why, did, why did Kirk climb that mountain? Oh, my gosh. So, um, But I loved the movies. I was a big... Wrath of Khan is like one of my favorite movies as a kid. I watched it multiple multiple times i own it on laserdisc and i have it here at work but with the tv show with especially with this new resurgence and all the new stuff coming out and the new fidelity and, and speaking to the next generation of people i'm just really excited about where things are and there's more now than ever when it comes to all the stuff that's accessible to you guys you've got the picard show you've got discovery You've got... Um, Can't forget the new cartoons coming up. The Lower Deck stuff, too. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to that. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff, which just really gets me excited because there's more stuff for us to put in the game. But uh, just because I love the fans and I know that they're excited about it, too. So I get to, you know, when we go to those conventions and we get to see them talking about and getting excited about it, it's like, gosh, dude, it's, it's more stuff for them to, to digest and be excited about. How about you, Weston? What are you looking forward to moving into to 2020? Oh, boy. What excites you? I, I have to agree with Scott, really. It's a, a lot of the things that I'm sure we'll, we'll eventually get to add and see in the new shows. This is an amazing time for Star Trek in general. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I, I honestly never thought I'd see it. <laughs> so it's, it's a huge honor to be a part of the team and be a part of this game going into its 10 year anniversary and beyond that as Star Trek has this amazing resurgence in shows and movies and has all this new stuff going on. Yeah, for all the people that bag on the JJ verse for Star Trek, 
I don't think we would have had this resurgence if that hadn't happened just because they brought they exposed Star Trek to a, a large audience and I think now the demand is more for that so yeah. I'm I'm glad that that was created uh, just to allow for all this new stuff to happen. Can you even watch Star Trek now and not look at it and say, oh, how do I get that in the game? Like, do you, can you sit back and enjoy it, or is it just something that... No. <laughs> I mean, yes I, yes, I can. Yes, I can. But when I when I saw the... Like, the question was asked. The first time I saw that Discovery bid, the, the Enterprise Bridge, I said, holy crap, we got to get that in the game, and it's going to take some time to do it. So, <laughs> But, like, Section 31 Bridge, we, ha- we, we, we look at that, and I go, how do we do that? But, oh, they just use the walker bridge and they can uh, so we can maybe convert the walker bridge and we do this and we can get it in the game i do look at the sets and go how do they do it and how do we get it in the game i can't enjoy it but part of me also just sits there and looks and go we gotta get that we gotta get that and it's a good thing though so how about you weston do you you know can you just kind of sit back and enjoy it i like to sit back and enjoy it yes but i have i experience the same thing scott does just after i've watched it though <laughs> <laughs> so i go back and look at the things and uh like the 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 gravity gun that tilly used yeah. like immediately after i finished watching that episode i was like oh yeah i'm gonna have fun aiming that <laughs> you know the crazy thing too with weston it, like because he, he does the our contact dialogue boxes where you get your your characters coming in there and doing their expressions. Oh, that's another good thing. Yeah. You you customize them. If you get a, a, a star for the show, you make those specifically for that star. So like Tilly looked like Tilly. And I think it's a very Derek yeah. looked like uh, Derek, Anthony yeah. Rapp looked like Anthony Rapp. Yeah. You you see those actors, you're like, I get to put that. I get to have yes. this mannerism in the game when I. If we get to put the character in there, yeah, it, it's it's something fun to do to m- mimic those mannerisms and specific things that make them individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, when we did Stamets, I loved doing him specifically because how much he talks with his hands. Yeah, um, and those eyebrows. He loves to do the eyebrow thing. Yes, yeah, and uh, with Lorca, he was Lorca was hard because yeah. he's a very stoic person and. Stoic is hard to do in animation because it's either you get it right or it looks like there's no animation at all. Right. And so it's a it's an interesting line to hit. As a Lorca fan, I say, well done. <laughs> Good job. I just wanted him to say, pata. I just wanted to just say that. <laughs> but he wouldn't do it. Well, I want to thank you so very much for joining us on this episode of Priority One on such short notice. Thank you so very much. I really appreciate both your times. Super pleased to do it. Absolutely. This yeah. has been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I want to thank you for all the work that you've done in 2019 and really look forward to what you have in store to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Star Trek Online. Uh, is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you were okayed to talk about but we haven't touched on it and you want to say it before you leave. What I want to say, and this is totally fine what I'm going to say, is the anniversary, everybody is going to be super geeked about it. That's all I'm going to say, but everybody is going to be super geeked about it. And as someone who has played the game for almost eight years now, faithfully, this is going to be amazing for players. Yeah, Scott Weston, thank you so very much for joining us on Priority One. We hope that you'll come on and talk with us again in 2020. And we look forward to all the work you have to do in the 10th year of Star Trek Online. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See. 
We are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week we asked, have you read Picard Countdown? What do you think? From Facebook, Ryan Ryder wrote in, I didn't read the Picard Countdown yet because I had the same thoughts, feelings you gentlemen discussed on the podcast regarding Desperate Hours. I want to get it, and still probably will, but I really get frustrated if I feel like I'm throwing away my money and time on something that might as well be an alternate timeline novel or something. From Facebook... Davin Emerson writes, I have read the comic. I think it's great. I love seeing the Odyssey there. Now put it in the show and I can die happy. On Instagram, Katie Fulfer says, My feelings about Picard Countdown were similar to Elijah's. I was intrigued, but felt like the issue was short. I haven't paid much attention to the novels, so a lot of the continuity discussion was new to me. I think it made me more annoyed to realize that canon is treated so loosely. I mean, I don't need canon to determine everything, but... Some basic continuity is nice. We also asked, have you seen the Shield of Tomorrow show? Are you excited for Clear Skies? And do you plan to watch it? From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell writes in, That was a lovely show with wonderful players. Clear Skies may pique my interest depending on the setting and the characters that they come up with. Since it's partnered with Star Trek Online, is it meant to be sort of a Stowe prequel? Does it deal with some of the backstory changes now that the pre-2409 timeline is in flux due to the Picard show? Also, wasn't there some contest to write a mission for an upcoming Star Trek Adventures Stowe timeline game book? Does this new show have something to do with it? Those are all great questions, Tyler. I, you know, I completely forgot about that contest, and I, I would not be surprised if that were the case, although we have had confirmation that the timeline of this show is set, uh, I think, towards the end of the Dominion War, so it probably won't take place in the Star Trek Online timeline. Well, that wraps up episode 441 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. And before we go, here's our community questions for this week. Our first community question was, now that Viacom CBS is a reality, what do you think it means for Star Trek? Our second community question is, have you ever played Star Trek 25th Anniversary? Do you have any favorite old Star Trek video games? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in our conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash podcast. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday. Just open your favorite podcast app and run a search for Roddenberry. There, you'll find us and our friends on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll be live on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Twitter. Just keep an eye on our social media channels for those details. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters and me and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit us 
us on PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our community patrons through Patreon.com. Listeners like you, who offer a financial contribution each month to help support the ongoing production of this show. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Now, if you can't make a financial contribution, that's all right. The next best thing you can do is hit that share, like, and retweet button on all our social media channels when we post. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to Heroes Rise Podcast to discover their secrets. This episode of Priority One would not be possible without our community volunteers. This podcast is indeed a community podcast. Thanks to our audio editors, including William Hardy, Brandon Parker, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Roscoe McQueen, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, and to associate producer, Shane Hoover, for assisting in the weekly production of this show and our weekly video companion. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Sue, no. Engage. Executive Director of the TI Alliance Development Group, Donna Watton. 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 I'd say Watton. All right. Watton? Maybe Watton. Executive Director. I doubt she listens to the show. Yeah, right. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Donna. (laughs) This is Elijah. I heard Anthony's feelings. Sig one. (laughs) This is Cat closing sync two. (laughs) This is Anthony closing. Three. But we can't. F- <laughs> <laughs> Advisory Panda. I can't believe Elijah just killed Anthony on the street. Apparently, you haven't been watching for the last year and a half. <laughs> Bro, I no scoped you. That was great. <laughs> Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.